We're going to do a review of yesterday's stuff. Get to today's. Yesterday was stuff. Samachvav number sixty-six, beginning of a new barrack. And today is Samach Zion number sixty-seven. We'll have a man for Shlema for Adasa Bas Ronya, for Amy Bas Dvora, for all else who need or for. And what's um, Yehudis? Yehudis. Basara. Basara and, and Rachaleya Basara. Rachaleya Basara. Okay. All right. They shall have a refuah shleima. Okay. So we're starting the review from the beginning of the perik. It's talking about um, the forbidden marriage of a, a mana to a kongadol and a gerush vachlutza to a konediot. And we're talking about that. Um, Bottom line is, it's still a marriage, and uh, as any marriage, there's property that uh, that the wife might bring into the marriage, and there's two forms, two ways that the wife might bring that property into the marriage, either as nichse malug, which is uh, pretty much not attached to the ksuva, that's the best way to explain it, and then there's nichse tzom barzal, which is attached to the ksuva. If it's attached to the ksuva, then basically what that means is that uh, it's established its value, um, and it's locked in at that value. And once it's at value, and basically any increase in value, any decrease in value, the gain or loss goes to the husband. Because upon dissolving of that marriage, if they get divorced or if he dies, of course, if she dies, he'll still inherit her. But if uh, he dies or divorces her, so then she's entitled to that exact value. Now, um, the... Other, uh, okay, that's if it's Tzon Barzal, and that's what this word sound like, it's the sheep, iron sheep, it's like sheep in a sense, but it's like iron in the sense that it's locked in whatever it is, it's not giving birth to anything. Now, then there is uh, the Avdi Malug, or Nixi Malug, and that is where it's not attached to the Ksuva, and therefore, uh, during the marriage, the, fa- the husband has full use, full benefit, for um, uh, anything that he can do with it, any increase though, um, whatever increase in value uh, comes via during the marriage, um, if he would divorce her, she will gain that increase, and if it, it decreases, if it goes down in value, then she will suffer that loss, basically. So uh, what's the practical difference over here? Since this is a forbidden union, these two, let's say she brings slaves into the marriage, typically, Slave of a coin is allowed to eat truma, just like uh, the wife of a coin is allowed to eat truma. However, in this case where it was a forbidden union, we make a distinction between a slave that is property that is maluk property or a slave that is sombarzal property. If it's maluk property, so then they can eat, cannot eat truma. And if it's sombarzal, then they can eat truma. And we explained the difference, of course, of that it's, uh, if it's of the... Um, if it's Avdi Malog, so then if they die, then she suffers the loss. If they increase in value or in number, she will gain that increase. And even though he is fully responsible during this time um, to, uh, to provide food for the slaves, it doesn't matter, they're still not allowed to eat truma. Avdi Sambarzal, on the other hand, if they die, he suffers the loss. If they go increase in value, he gains. Um, and he will be responsible uh, since he has full responsibility. Therefore, they are allowed to eat Shuma. Now, this is only true because it was a forbidden union. However, if it's a regular Basisrael who's married to a coin and she brings the same slaves, same t- two types of slaves into the marriage, both of them are going to be allowed to eat Shuma. 
And in the reverse scenario, if she's a Basco and brings into the marriage, whether it be Avdi Mlok or Avdi Tzom Barzel, neither of them will be allowed to eat Shuma anymore. Well, my quick question, who designate, does, the, does the wife designate whether it's um, Lagdi or Barzal? Who designates yeah, that? That's, uh, that's um, how they decide in the beginning. It basically, it's a question of did they decide to write it into the Ksuba? Or that they leave it out of the ksuba. Ah, that's so that's, that's the distinction. That's if, they, the if it's distinction. written in, that, that determines that means that, that it's locked. That means they evaluated it, and they're locked, and that's what he's responsible. What are, what's happening? No inflation. No increase. No increase. What? What what's do you mean? What's happening? Right now, we explained the two forms <coughs> of when a when a woman gets married, what she br- and she brings property into the marriage. There's yes. two ways she can bring it. She can either bring it as written into the ksuba that the husband is accepting it to a certain specific amount, and if it goes up in value or down in value, that amount he's obligated to give back should they get divorced. Or, it's or not attached to the ksuba. And it's, it's, no, it's not attached to the ksuba at all. And then if it, whatever she brings in, she's entitled to take out. And it's if it went up in value. It's not a prenup. Prenup. Yes. What's, what's a ksuba is a prenup. It's a dowry. It's a dowry. That's what it is. It's a it's dowry. It's a dowry that belongs to her, but she doesn't want to have it to inside the tube. She doesn't want to add it to the rehush of the tube. So she's entitled to keep it. Uh, yes, yeah, but do you understand it's a risk also. If it goes down in value, she suffers that loss. That's the difference. We're talking about two, two slaves now. Slaves. It happens to be that we're talking about slaves. But yeah, in Noma it could be anything. It could be she brought a car into the marriage. The wife is the same as the slave. I wonder back then did slaves depreciate as they were getting older? They could depreciate, of course. Because they get work less. No, no, I'm sorry. Just a quick question out of the nation. In the time of the Keuna, the, the coin was entitled to have a second wife? Not the coin gadol. We learned just recently that a coin gadol is not allowed to take a second wife. But a regular coin is, yes. As, long as, as long as he can afford it. That's the key. A element. shifcha also? Um, what do you mean a shifcha? Just to own her? Just to own her? No, no, no. He, mean, he means a friend. You mean that kind? No, <laughs> that's not allowed. I mean like the, I mean like, uh, like the maor. That's not allowed. <laughs> no, well, that's different. They were freed in order that he could marry her. No shivcha is allowed to marry either a Kohen or a or a Yisrael. That's not what. That's not true. Never, never. They're only not not while they're shivcha. Well, all they're allowed as a shivcha is if that a man has a Jewish slave, then he can pair them up to have children, and they're the children of the of the masters. Doesn't doesn't belong to the slave. <coughs> that's the only thing that that's allowed. And the kohen were allowed to do that. A kohen? No. Yes, a kohen can have slaves, like anybody. Okay. All right. So here's the question: Why is it <coughs> just because these slaves are avdimulog and not attached to the ksuba? The bottom line is, they're fully during the marriage, fully belonging to the husband. So why not be able to feed them truma? Isn't it the same as a Kenyan that acquires a Kenyan? And, um, and we know that a, 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 a Kohen gets married or has slaves. He, they are allowed to eat truma. It's based on the Pasuk. And even if that wife will buy slaves, or those slaves will buy other slaves, 
they're also going to be allowed to eat truma based on the other the pasuk as well of nefesh kinyan kaspo that even the kinyan that's kone even that which is acquired that acquires further will be able to eat. So what's the reason here why the Aptimaluk cannot eat truma? The answer is because since they're really the Aptimaluk are considered fully the own although the use is to the husband, but they're owned by the wife. And the wife, who was a forbidden union to her husband, is herself not allowed to eat truma. So if she can't eat truma, so she can't feed truma. That's the idea. So the Gemara says, is that really a klal that is reliable? Because we have a few examples of people who cannot eat truma, but they still can feed truma. Like an orel, or like a tummy per coin. They are kohanim. The coin who does not have a brismila is not allowed to eat truma, but his slaves would be allowed to eat truma. Okay. Um, Similar, if he's Tame, he cannot eat Truma, but others can eat Truma. His, his property can eat Truma. So the, uh, they're not allowed to eat, but they can feed. So the Gemara says that's different. There, we look at it like a tangential problem with his inability to eat. It's like his mouth is hurting. If you have a toothache and you can't eat, that doesn't mean that you're not fit to eat. It's just actually have some problem that's inhibiting you from eating. The same thing here. You happen to have a not have a brismila. We just could do a brismila, and then you would be able to eat. So you're no, but, you might die out of the brismila. Obviously, but the so. point is, theoretically, the brismila is a, is a, is a possibility. And if, he, and, and if that's the case, it's not looked at that he is not really capable of eating, as opposed to the woman here, as a halala, she intrinsically cannot eat. Because okay. her status can never change, whereas that Cohen could change. He'd fix it. He could fix it. He could do something about it. Yeah. If they find the cure, then he can fix it. Okay. Yechus is forever. Right. The yichus comes from man or from the general. is forever. No, but the It depends which kind of yichus. I mean, but so yichus usually, like I believe, my wife has a huge yichus. So of course that's a factor. I mean, I'm a from Ashkenaz, but she has a. Which is from Ashkenaz. No, she's coming from from Gerush Straight. All right. So um, anyway, what about a mamzer? This is a very interesting scenario. Sometimes you have a mamzer who's able to feed others truma. How does that work? Because if you have a mamzer that uh, basically is the grandson of the, this woman who married a Kohen. So the woman married a Kohen. She had a daughter. The daughter married somebody forbidden and she had a son. So the Allah is, as long as there's some offspring from that union to the Kohen, this wife is allowed to eat. Even if her Kohen husband has passed away, she continues to eat on the basis of her grandson, who happens to be a mamzer. So he is ma'achil, he enables her to eat, and of course he is a mamzer, he's not allowed to eat at all. He's not even a Kohen, necessarily, it has nothing to do. Point being, though, is uh, he is ein ochel, and he's ma'achil, so something we're talking about either, that's not, we're talking about the ability to feed as a Kenyan. So a Kenyan that is able to eat is able to be ma'achal. A Kenyan that is not able to eat is not able to be ma'achal, not able to feed. That is the first answer. The second answer was Ravi. He says that the, the difference is that the reason why Abdelmaluk here cannot eat truma is not because she can't eat truma. That's not, it's a minah Torah, really, they should be allowed to eat truma. The rabbis made a decree 
that they should not be allowed to eat truma, so that the woman, being that she's in a forbidden union, she's married to somebody she's not allowed to be married to, and we want to encourage them to divorce. What is the way we will encourage that? By making her, as well as her slaves, not even allowed to eat truma, she will feel like a, somewhat of a second-class citizen, like she's not really connected to her husband, and that in itself... In itself, and if the husband passes away, she's going to go to poverty completely because she, she cannot feed herself. I'm not sure what you're... That's not what we're talking about. We're I know, no, We're trying to make her feel a second-degree citizen. What's the purpose of that? Because it's a forbidden union. She has no business marrying a coin if she's a divorcee. She should know that. That's the point. But the and problem here is if she becomes a widow, she'll starve. First of all, that's not true because she has slaves. She is a property owner. She's a wealthy woman. You're not getting the picture right. Okay. But anyway, the point being is is that that's the reason we made the decree according to Rabbi Rafa. She says a different reason for the decree. It's also a decree. But the reason is, is that we're afraid that after the husband dies, she's going to continue to feed her slaves trauma. So the Gemara says, if that's true, that we're worried what's going to happen after the husband dies, well, that thing should be also by the Bas Yisrael. Even if it's not a forbidden union, should say the same thing. She marries a Kohen. She should not be allowed to eat, feed her slaves or Avdim Lug Truma because what's going to be after Nisa? Okay? So she might continue to feed them. So Ravashi explains that the reason is we're not talking about a widow who herself is a Bas Yisrael, talking about a widow who herself is a Kohen, Koheness, past going, uh-huh. and there she's like she was married once to uh, she's a Basco and she was married once, <coughs> and after the husband, first husband died, she became a widow, and uh, she was feeding her truma to her slaves. Now she marries the Kohen Gadol, so and they're continuing to eat. So she thinks, what happens after my husband, the Kohen Gadol, dies? So I, I'll go back to what it was before I married him, where my slaves were eating truma. And that's not true because once he, once she, as the widow, married a Kohen Gadol, she became at that juncture a Chalala. And yes, it's true, her slaves are still able to eat, but she, um, but now once it goes back to her domain, the slaves are no longer going to be allowed to eat. She cannot go back to her family, her family status once she became a Chalala or she messed up herself, her ability to go back to her family. And therefore, because she's not going to realize that nuance, <laughs> We say, sorry, while she's married, we're also not letting her, her slaves, which are the Abdim Luk, um, eat truma. So that's the rabbinic decree. That's the idea. I have a, a small story to share. In my shul in Mexico, we used to have a coin, only come, he only used to come in Yemen mm-hmm. He's a bal, he used to be a big bal sedoke. Well, he was married to a divorcee mm-hmm. in second weddings. We never allowed him to come into the toilet. We never gave him an Get idea. Right. We never gave him an idea. He was ultra upset all the time. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, making faces, making, mm-hmm. I want an idea, I want an idea. No way. Mm-hmm. We never gave him an idea. That's what it is. <laughs> is she while well, she's married to the Kohen What? Is she, she, of course not. Of course not. But, but they still stay married. They did. Well, we encourage, but we don't, we, it's a real union. That's the thing, because it's only a love. What happens if she marries, uh, the coin goggle uh, passes when she marries another coin? 
No, a halal. She's forbidden to marry a kohen. She's a halala. It changes her status. Forever. Right. Forever. Right. Exactly. Now, um, so that's the concern. Now, so the the and I I why is that since that's really only applicable to a widow that's a kohenis. Why would we make a decree by a widow who is not a kindness, who is a Basi Yisrael? The answer is, we make no distinction. Once a widow is, a, there are widow cases that are problematic, so we made a rule across the board, no, no, no widow is, a, is going to be allowed to feed her optimolog truma. Okay, uh, finished. Because of the scenario when it's a widow that's a Basi so um, it took us to another discussion, a very important discussion. What is the halachic status of the, what do we do with the property that she brings into the marriage that was evaluated into the ksuva? And therefore we consider it, in a sense, very strongly connected to the husband because any gain, he, he gets the gain. Any loss, he suffers the loss. And the question is, when upon dissolving that marriage, if they get divorced, um, and she wants the actual items themselves. Does she is she entitled to the items, or not? Or can the husband say, "Look, I locked it in at the value of a thousand dollars, even though you brought in this beautiful china set that's um, worth three thousand. It's worth uh, three thousand dollars, but at the time we locked it in a thousand. All you're entitled to is one thousand dollars, and I'll give you the cash, and I'm keeping the china." That's the question. Or does he say, I want the money. Let's say it's the same value. Didn't even increase in value. But he wants the kalim. She does, you know, she wants it. So who wins? So it's a question. So we saw Machlokas review that says, she gets it. Give me the china. I don't want the money. Yeah, she wants the item. She gets it. And uh, that's reviewed. The Shita Ravami says, no, since it was locked into the Ksuva, that was the deal. That's the catch. You put it into the ksuva, so you gotta, you know, that's the that's what happens because it's a, he gets it. So Rav Yudha says it's hers. Why? Because this falls into the category of what's called shvach bezaviyot, family heirloom type of thing, and it's from her family that she brought into the marriage, and she she has a stronger claim to it, <coughs> sentimental value, and you have to honor that. Rabbi Ami says it's his, and he brings it from our Mishnah because it sounds like by the slaves. If they die, he suffers their death. If they go out and increase in value, he gets the gain. So whose is it? It's his. He's fully responsible. It's like it's his. So Rav Safra says, doesn't say it's his. It says he's responsible. That doesn't mean the same thing as being his. Really, it's not his. So the Gemara says, and what if you're Chaim and Achrayis? Does that mean allow you to feed it Truma? Why is he allowed to eat, feed him Truma? Obviously, because it is his. Why? Because the price, the Mishnah says that if you have a Yisrael who rents a cow from a coin, he's allowed to feed that cow Truma, f- truma fodder. Okay? Again, you can't feed it fit food fit for a human, but if it's only fit for an animal and it's Truma, you're allowed to feed the cow belonging to the Kohen the truma, even though he is the renter and it's his responsibility to pay for the food. Co- if it's the other way around, the Kohen rents the cow from Israel, even though it's his responsibility, he's not allowed to feed that Yisrael cow truma. Okay? Um, now the Gemara says, that's not a comparison at all, and I'll tell you why. Because granted, when you're renting, you have some level of responsibility. But that's only some. If theft happens, or if he gets lost, then he suffers that, uh, and he take, he's responsible. But what if it's an onus? What if it go, gets weaker from use, wear and tear? All those types of things, he is not responsible for as a renter, right? Um, so, therefore, 
Um, what about the fluctuation in price? That he's not going to be responsible. So that's not called achrayas. What we're talking about achrayas is a different level. So we wonder what it's more similar to. It's a case coming up where what if it was evaluated? There was a cow um, uh, from uh, the, the coin where he was locked in that, look, I don't care. Right now, this cow's worth $1,000. If, you know, if, if it's worth $1,000 when you bring it back to me, then fine. Then, now, but if it's not, then you're going to have to make it up. Okay? So there, if it was locked in at its value, that that's what he was responsible, then he's not allowed to feed a drum anymore. But in the reverse scenario, if it's a Kohen who had it evaluated from the Israel, so during that period of time, he can feed it Kershina uh, Truma, because after all, it's like owned fully by the Kohen at the time. So, um, bottom line is, Rab and Rav Yosef were in the Shira of Rav Nachman. They were sitting and they said, look, there was a price of backing both opinions. So it happens to be that this dispute between Rav Yehuda and Rabbi Ami is is sourced in Tanaitic argument. Okay, what does that mean? The Bryce of Rav Ami says that if you have Avdi Sombarso, who's knocks out the tooth? Who, who, who has to knock out the tooth? If he knocks out the tooth, they'll, they'll go out free. That's interesting, right? That, that means the one who, the, only the owner who knocks the tooth of his slave makes the slave go free. And who's considered the owner? It says the husband, not the, not the wife. So you see that it's really, really his. Okay, so when the, upon dissolving of that marriage, he should be entitled to, to the slave itself, okay? Um, and not her, he should get the money, finished. The Brisa, uh, there's another Brisa supporting of Utah, she brought valuated things into the marriage, that's Sombarzal, if the husband wants to sell it, he cannot sell it. And not only that, even if he locked in uh, some items uh, and valued them, um, if he wants to sell it, he can't sell it. If they both, if they sell it for parnasa, we can even well, either one of them would sell it, they, you know, because they needed food for the house. We can reverse the sale because, after all, neither right and neither side has the right to sell it, which means that he cannot give the item. There's a claim on the item itself. Okay, so um, bottom line is what's the bottom line halacha? So Rav is the name of Nachman. We pass him like Rav Yehuda. I. What about the fact that we have a brisa like Rav Ami? doesn't matter. The Rav Yudah's reasoning is more compelling. Now, there was a story that seems to counter this, because the story goes is that there was this woman brought a silk garment that was for the husband while their marriage, from the marriage, and it was locked into the ksuva, and he died, and then the Yisomim took it and wrapped the dead body with it. And, um, and then uh, the case came to Rava. She wanted the silk for her next husband, um, or whatnot, and uh, he uh, and basically they said too bad. Uh, that's what Rava said. It belongs to the dead, the dead, the deceased. So, um, so isn't that not fitting in with the fact that we paskan like Rav Yudah? No, it does fit in, and that's because even though she has a right to it back, right now it's just a debt, and, until, <laughs> and as long as it's a debt, there are three things that can override even a debt. And basically remove a le- any lien from it, and they are hekdish, chametz, and shechra. We I didn't explain this so well, but we had this concept a few times already in Shas. But basically, the idea is is that if I'm, if I, if you say, let's say that this, um, let's say you have a lien to my car, okay, and then uh, that means that if I owe you money, and you're the the way I'm going to pay you back with that is from my car. 
So, um, and you have a lien on it, right? So, but if I go to Bezdin and I makdish it, uh, it's not really hegdish like that. It's really a hegdish of a, doesn't work for a car. It only works for an animal that can have kedushas a goof, like it was a cow, and I makdish it to be a carbon. So then basically that pops off your, your lien on the cow and you don't have the lien anymore. It over, it's like wipes away any lien. And the same is true with chametz when Erev Pesach comes. If there was like a bunch of, uh, let's say, bread that was um, a bunch of bread that was like that, so basically um, uh, that was like used as a collateral uh, for a debt and you're supposed to get it, but once it hits Erev Pesach, six hours into the day, your lien is completely removed. And the same is true with Shikhrer, if I have a slave, and I decided to free the slave, that freedom overpowers any type of lean, lean that you might have had. And that's basically the idea, and that is where we left off yesterday. So it's